Hey everyone, this is Elias Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and we are doing a lot of trade talk this week. This Sunday's podcast revolves around the 22 and 19 Detroit Pistons who have been in the trade rumor mill all week. Ben, Jamie, and I talk about our preferred trades, the quote-unquote resurgence of Avery Bradley, and we give you that promised update on Anthony Tolliver. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which, of course, is the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you? Hey, doing pretty good. Um, since the Pistons stunk, I think I'll go ahead and go with a gold blue this week. Oh, my, come on. All my Sparty oh. fans. Yo, Just twist the knife, why don't you? That's the end of the podcast. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, you guys didn't even see that coming because I didn't mention it in pregame. So. I, I had a feeling someone was going to mention it. So we did. We had some technical issues before the start of the podcast, and so I couldn't hear Ben, and Ben couldn't hear me, and so now I'm thinking we should go back to that arrangement. <laughs> if we can, uh, flagrantly attack the Spartans like this all podcast. <laughs> Not a bad idea. I live like five minutes from campus, and I honestly I didn't even watch the game because I figured it would be a disaster for Michigan. But uh, stopped by a fad fast food place afterwards, and there were some piss Spartans fans. So. Uh, that, that was rewarding in and of itself. I'm, I'm glad one of the three of us were happy this week. That's that's the silver lining. That uh, that third voice you hear is Jamie Delaney's. Jamie, what's up? What up? What up? Happy to be back on. It's been it's been a minute, a uh, couple months. So I wish I wish we were talking about the Pistons under better circumstances. But you know, injuries, man, injuries will get you. Well, okay, so they're not doing too bad. They're right now. They're 22 and 19. They're seventh in the East. Uh, they are 18th in offensive rating. I remember when they had a top 10 offense in like November. That was really nice. But uh, for now, they're top 10 in defense. But they have a, uh, a league average net rating. Their net rating is 0.1. So they are 0.1 better on offense than they are on D. Uh, they went 1-2 and two this week, though. They lost to New Orleans. That was a really rough, lo- rough loss. Uh, they handed Brooklyn a uh, a fairly decisive victory, and then uh, of course last night they uh, they blew the game in Chicago multiple ways. But the story for this week for me at least was was two big things. Uh, the Pistons have a defensive rating of 133.9 in the first quarters of the last five games. Uh, for those of you who don't really use defensive rating, uh, 100 is about league average, and so the Pistons are 33 points uh, below that. That's pretty bad. If you've watched the first quarters of the uh, New Orleans game or the Chicago game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Stan in the post game has used the phrase uh, defensive disposition so often in the last two weeks. It's become like a running gag between the beat guys. You can see them like joking about it on Twitter during the first quarter of the Chicago game. That was a 
That was almost as fun as watching Laurie Markkinen just splash three after three into Tobias Harris's face. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Stan has a definite point. Too often they're giving up 30 points in a quarter and uh, trying to fight back from there when offense is not this team's strength, it's, it's defense. Um, and, and they have an inability to stop guys in the first quarter and they have an inability to, uh, to get their own buckets in the fourth. They, uh, they blew the New Orleans game late with uh, a series of bungled possessions. Um, the final play was supposed to be to Avery, or was supposed to be to, to, to Tobias Harris, and then uh, New Orleans blew the play up, and Avery Bradley shot an awful corner three to end the game. Well, it's pretty easy to br- blow a play up when you got Ish Smith inbounding the ball, who shoots less than 30% from three when you need a three. So anyway, I won't. I'll no, no. I mean, yeah, they, and that's, that's on the coaching the the inability to kind of run a sideline out of bounds set is on the coaching, um, but uh, the Chicago ending that's not well. I guess you, I guess you could have called timeout with, with after the steal, but uh, after the way New, the New Orleans game ended, I was pretty happy that they they just like let him go. But that's not the result you want. Obviously, Reggie Bullock uh, missing the layup. It looked like he was fouled. Clearly, could have gone fouled. either way. Clearly, clearly was fouled. But I'm not. I'm not mad that they didn't call it, if that makes sense. Because I It's really hard to decide a game like that. Exactly. Like you're you're hard pressed to find any officiating crew that is gonna call that foul in that situation to end the game. Um so um while it definitely was a foul, it, you can't you can't like rely on getting that call um when you know it's the final possession of the game. Yeah. I can't. I can't get the post game because uh, league pass cuts off immediately after the game ends. But apparently, Grant Long in the post game was calling for uh, Reggie to alley oop it to Tobias. Like, I don't know if that would have worked either. But like, that would have been a better play than than what we had. I know. I I did see on Twitter that Bullock talked about it in the locker room after. I think it was with James Edwards that to the angle at which Tobias was kind of running behind him and the way Dunn was playing him, it would have been a pretty tough like drop off pass to make. Um, so he felt like to to go for the layup was the better option and then he he kind of went in on being fouled in the refs and whatnot. So but I kinda see his point in rewatching the possession. Like it was kind of a tough angle. Tobias was like right there in the middle kind of crowding him a bit. So it was it it's a fifty fifty kind of decision. Yeah, Dunn Dunn was trailing just a little bit. Yeah. And so Dunn didn't really catch up until Reggie really started to gather. So I, I see where he's coming from. I, I think the only thing Reggie could have done if he was going to make a successful pass would have been to pass almost immediately upon receiving the ball. Yeah. And that would have had its own risks because Dunn, like I said, was was just like a half step behind Reggie until Reggie started to gather. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The the bang bang pass, I think that would have uh that would have worked. So I guess the the question for from me to uh, to you guys, and we'll start with Ben. Which which one of these issues the uh, the inability to stop anybody in the first uh, in the first quarter and the inability to score in the fourth uh, do you think is is more pressing? Which one should the uh, the Pistons focus on going forward? Well, so th- the inability to stop people in the first is a concern, and it's like the stat that you pointed out in terms of like almost 134 points per 100 possessions, which is what defensive rating and like that's disastrous. Um, but 
it's bigger than that to me because they've struggled all season in terms of um, getting down early and needing to make sort of semi-spectacular comebacks. And, you know, in the beginning of the season when they were really hot, one of the things I kept saying was they're going to have to stop doing this because they're just not as good offensively as they started the season, right? I mean, everybody was making shots. Reggie looked great. And they made all of these comebacks. At one point, I think they led the the league in, in double-digit comebacks, right? That's just not how you want to play basketball. So they they obviously have to address this. Um, but they're also not going to stay at 134 points defensive rating for, for the rest of the season. I mean, that's, I think, probably a little bit of an aberration. Oh, there's Baby Galker <laughs> agreeing with me. Um, but to me, I, I would like to see them figure out the scoring in the fourth and – I think scoring as a whole this week was was rough. Uh, I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but Avery Bradley led the teams in shot attempts by quite a margin in all three of these games. And even though he shot the ball better than he's been shooting, I, I just don't think that's a recipe for success. And I think, uh, to my eye anyway, Avery really tried to take over in the fourth quarter, and that kind of backfired, I think, especially in the the new Orleans game. So to me, that's an easier fix than the defense because the defense has been a problem all season. And ultimately it's got, sorry, baby golker. (laughs) It's got to be Tobias's team in the fourth, in my opinion, when, when Reggie is out and he's going to be out for a while yet. And, and Avery Bradley just doesn't have any business carrying the team's offense in the fourth quarter. So if I'm Stan Van Gundy, and those are the two things I'm looking at, I'm looking at fourth quarter scoring and, and I'm figuring out how to make Tobias the, the man in the fourth quarter and and to to your point ben like the struggling to defend in the first quarter being a problem all all season it was a problem last season too um i feel like this this has been something we've kind of talked about for a couple of years now with this pistons team so i i don't know how you fix that it's to me it's it's Stan keeps saying it's a rotations thing and and getting the right set of guys out there. But I think I agree with what you said. You got to focus on the fourth quarter scoring. That's the easier thing to fix. Um, And, and I think you'll see more immediate dividends if you, if you fix that first. Well, I remember, remember the first Philadelphia game where uh, they were playing really far off of Ben Simmons, the the home Mm -hmm. game. And Stan admitted after the game that, like, yeah, we we messed up the the defensive game plan, and like that's why uh, Simmons was able to get rolling early. I wonder, I wonder how much of that has to do with some of the the first quarter uh, troubles, just because uh, you see the team kind of locked down in the second half after Stan gets a, a view of like what the team is actually trying to accomplish, but um, the game plan. In, in the first quarter and in the first half of what he envisioned might happen is, is maybe not happening. But don't we employ the most like in like in league NBA scouts out of any front mm-hmm. office in the league. But that was like, like, that's like pro scouting though. That's like, uh, no, I know, but like, shouldn't that, for. right. But shouldn't that scouting like data still help our coaching staff and building their defensive game plan. I guess I'm just playing devil's advocate of like, I, I hope that I hope that that's not the reason because it seems like we've at least from a PR perspective put out there that we have all this data and like scouts out there looking at every individual player in the league. And if that's not helping our defensive game plan, 
game to game, that that's a problem. <laughs> no, yeah, that, that's all. I'd like to know what that data is, though. Like, I, I really, obviously, we'll never know. It's all going to be proprietary, and we might know in twenty years, you know. But I'm not sure it's the right data. And the other thing is, I've said this before, so I won't beat a dead horse. But Van Gundy has got to be one of the least flexible coaches in the NBA. It's like oh, he, he gets his he gets his game plan, however he's getting it. If it's all the big data or whatever, he gets his game plan, and he just doesn't waver. Like he, oh. it's like it literally looks to me like he's got that big long sheet of paper right that he stuffs in his jacket pocket, <laughs> and that's got his rotations and it's got his plays, and that's what he's going to do no matter what happens over the course of the game. At least that's what it looks like to me. Or at least, or if they go, or if they do change, it takes them a half. They need to go in and discuss what they're going to change at halftime and then follow that rigidly as opposed to just like going possession by possession or going quarter by quarter or even, you know, sub by sub, six-minute break by six-minute break. So I guess next up is uh, we promised you guys last week that we talked some Anthony Tolliver because Anthony Tolliver doesn't get uh, enough love on this <laughs> on this pod no but really uh, well the re- the reason we were going to talk about him was because he had he had two like he had two really bad weeks right he yeah. was struggling yeah. a lot especially from three but he kind of uh, he's kind of brought himself back out of it um he's two or three from three against brooklyn and three or four from three against chicago um he had a 99 defensive rating for the week so he's been how much do you love that efficiency that just that is so efficient right there I'm loving it. Yeah, it's, that's good stuff. Yeah, as, <laughs> as long as Tolliver is like making shots, like he's fine in the rotation. Like maybe you shouldn't rely on him to play 25 minutes a night. Maybe you should rely on him to play like 18 to 20 minutes a night. But as long as he's making threes, he's fine. Yeah, I no, I agree with that. I think especially right now with guys kind of like dinged up, um, and putting our rotation out of whack, like. He's. We're gonna have to lean on Tolliver a little bit more than maybe Stan is comfortable with. But um, as long as he can like stay efficient with his offense, hey, that's all we need. I didn't. I gotta say though, I didn't love twenty six minutes against the the uh, against New Orleans. I thought that was a bit much. I mean, I know, I know there was a reason for it, but it was it was quite clear, clearly his worst game of the week. Yeah, and. I just don't. I think twenty six minutes is just too much for him. Um, I'm trying to remember who he was matched up against. It had to be like a size thing. Well, you, usually, you know, they put him out there on Anthony Davis, but he didn't start the game. But he was yeah a lot in the third quarter before Davis went out. So that was. Part of it. But yeah, no, I think he had a better week. I think the Pistons are better with him, especially with no lure all season. There's no question they're better with him when he's playing well. Um, I really hope his th- three point shot rebounds because. Um, his defense is a constant. His energy is a constant. I think his positivity is a constant, and I think that could be a good thing because I think the team's going to continue to have its struggles without Reggie. So if that shot's falling, that's just a huge help. Yeah. I think the uh, the thing to do is kind of, even when he wasn't playing well, was to let him ride it out, right? And uh, the shot would eventually return. And like Ben said, the energy and the defense are, are fairly constant, even if they're not superlative they're fairly constant and so um i'm pleased his shot seems to be back but i'm hoping that uh after they play this uh pretty home-centric schedule coming up and we'll we'll get to that that it'll it'll stay that way he'll stay uh, his body will stay in order because behind him right now would be would be henry ellenson who i don't think is ready right now or going to be a piston for much longer well 
<laughs> Possibly. We we don't know. We'll get to that yeah, later. We got, we, got, we got trade talk in all caps. Like we're we're gonna get yeah. there. <laughs> but uh next up we're gonna talk about Avery Bradley. Uh, we we criticized Avery Bradley fairly heavily on this podcast last week. Um I'm happy to say that his play is rebounded, so we don't have to do that again. Um he, he slashed uh, 45, 43, 50. He was one of two from the free throw line uh, for the week. Uh, you could really see him, especially in the New, York, New Orleans game in the third quarter, decide to attack the rim instead of shooting and settling for those 18-footers that we hate so much. And I think that was a big part of what keyed his, uh, his mental turnaround. Even if he doesn't make all those shots in the paint, and he won't, um, that does things like open up the glass for Andre's offensive rebounding and it gets other guys in a rhythm and it breaks down the defense in a way that the team really needs uh, without Reggie Jackson. Um, you know, he still turned the ball over a bit too much. His handle is still really weak. He turned the ball over, uh, I think twice in the first quarter in the Chicago game where he just like dribbled it off Chris Dunn's foot. And it's like, oh, okay, well nothing you can do about that. Shout out to Mochi. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, defensive communication where like he's too hyper-focused in on his matchup. Um, that remains an issue. You can, If you want to see some clips of that, you can check out uh, Michael Snyder's The Closeout um, on, on Detroit Bad Boys. That's one of the best things we run weekly. And uh, last week he ran a, uh, a fairly damning uh, examination of Avery Bradley's off-ball defense that uh, I would highly check. I encourage everybody to check out. But... Uh, yeah, I'm glad that Avery Bradley is playing better, but I'm still like fine. I'm still fine trading him. Do you guys think uh, has his recent improvement in play led you guys to believe that uh, you would be you know, want to hang on to him instead of trading him at the deadline? I want to hear Jamie's thoughts on this. I have my, own, <laughs> but I, I want to hear Jamie what Jamie has to say. I, oh man, I was really hoping you would go first. Um, <laughs> I man, I'm I'm really torn on this because. When we started the season, I was pretty convinced that this would be like the the year of let's try and convince Avery Bradley to stick around and, and do whatever we need to do to resign him. Um, and now, lately, uh, after that kind of tough stretch and then him picking it back up this week, I, I don't know. I think from a front office perspective, I would I would deal him. Um, I think you're gonna get the best value. Uh, for him, uh, contenders will want a guy like him in their rotation uh, as they go deep in the playoffs. So I think he'll get he'll get the most bang for for his buck, so to speak. And yeah, I just I don't know. I I I don't see a long term future for him as a piston. I'm very surprised to hear you say yeah, that, I, Jamie. I am too. That's really interesting. <laughs> I I mean I okay so. First off, I just think he's like it, it, he's he hasn't been everything as advertised between the turnovers, between his off-ball defense, and and the slumps he goes through offensively. I love his disposition as a player. He's he's a treat to watch in terms of just being a basketball fan. But um, with all that going on, Kennard's also kind of shown like he's got a a pretty bright future in the league, um, and he's making some noise sooner than I think any of us expected. So while we were kind of like terrified at the prospect of losing Bradley at the start of the season, now seeing Kennard and, you know, if we hold on to our first round pick, I, I'm, I'm not too worried about Bradley leaving. And if we can get another young wing guy or, or maybe 
dare I say, a stretch four to help us out, um, I'm all for it. So that's that's kind of where I land. Yeah. So I would, Laz, I want to think, this is like not me trying to be like playing semantic games, but did Avery Bradley play better this week or did his shots go in the basket? Well, I think, I think it's a little <laughs> of both, right? Because you saw him attack more often instead of settling. And so even if the shots don't go in, you'd rather have him attack than, than settle. But yeah, the, the shots going in That's are also fair. fairly important when evaluating, I think. Doesn't that in turn make you play better? Or now yeah, I mean, it, like I'm, a philosophical discussion. Yeah, it's fair. All of those things are fair. And I'm I'm sort of being a dork by even putting it that way. But like to me, you know, one of the things that strikes me when I look at just looking at Avery's stats, forgetting about the eyeball test for just a second, two free throw attempts this week two free throw attempts for the week, right? So what does that tell you? Yes, he did attack more, but like to me, that's still a glaring issue in his game. Like he he took a lot of shots and a lot of them went in, which I will take absolutely 100% will take. I will take this week's Avery Bradley over what we have been seeing from Avery Bradley without hesitation, but he's still such a jump shooter that is going to run hot and cold. And, I don't think he's at the point in his career where we're going to see a significant change in that respect. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he's yeah. really a jump shooter. And when he makes shots, that's really good uh, because his, his on the ball defense at least is good. And, and shout out to Michael Snyder because that wasn't a fantastic piece. Um, but when his shots don't go in, like it just, it hurts the offense, especially when he leads the team in shot attempts like he did this week. I mean, looking back at the new Orleans game, right? 23 shots, Tobias with 18, Looking at the Brooklyn game, which is such a blowout, it's hard to take too much from it. But still, 16 shot attempts for Bradley, 14 for Tobias. I don't, I don't love that. And then against the Bulls, 19 field goal attempts for for Bradley and 14 for Tobias. And admittedly, Tobias struggled mightily against the Bulls, but taking a lot of jump shots and not getting to the line, I, I just don't think that's going to be a winning recipe for the offense as a whole regardless of whether or not, you know, Avery's individual stats are better as a result. So that would be my, that would be my critical analysis of Avery in spite of the fact that he was admittedly better this week than he's been. That's fair. So Ben, I'm going to devil's advocate, your devil's advocate. (laughs) How many free throws did Luke Kennard shoot this week? Oh, I didn't even look probably zero. I think he had like a technical in the uh, Brooklyn game, but my point is, that is to say that, like, did yeah. really? Yeah, you're right. One for one. Shout out to but, that. Oh, he took two against. He took two against uh, the Pelicans. So he shot. But your yeah, point, your point the, still stands. Luke Kennard attacks, you know, less than Avery Bradley did this week, and is pretty much a jump shooter. But he's a more, I think, his shot profile is a little bit better than Avery's. He, he shoots more threes, and he makes them more often. But other than that, like, that's a lot of the the same. So. Yeah. His his range is a little bit deeper and, and more flexible than Bradley's, yeah. I'd say, too. Well, and the thing that I, I was thinking about when he, we were playing the Bulls was, like, every time Avery shot an open three, that was the result of the natural flow of the offense. Like, it, it wasn't him pulling up or taking it off the dribble or whatever. Like, I felt so good about those shots. It's the shots he take when, when it's, like, you know, the 17-footer off the dribble with 10 seconds on the shot clock. It's those shots that are like, oh, if he just didn't take that shot 
ever, I think he would be such a better team player. That's, I mean, that's just my read. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but your point about him taking over in the fourth quarter over Tobias in the Chicago game, I think is well-founded Tobias. Uh, he had a pretty good week this week, but he really struggled in the Chicago game. And it's really hard for the Pistons to win when Tobias doesn't play as, as when he doesn't play that well. Um, the things that you can be encouraged about this week are that uh, he's definitely, as he's gotten the ball more, he's definitely looking to um, make passes in the flow of the offense. He's averaging uh, two and a half assists over his last five games versus uh, 1.9 for the season. Like that doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, you can you can definitely see the he, that he's trying to make the reads that he nece- not necessarily wasn't before. Um, one thing that we lauded him for last week that didn't really happen this week was that he didn't get to the line as much. He only shot one free throw against Brooklyn and uh, two free throws against Chicago. But you could see the refereeing in the Chicago game was really frustrating him. Uh, he felt like he was creating contact and not getting rewarded for it. And, you know, maybe you can attribute that to part of his offensive struggles. Um, but for my money, I think I'd rather see him continue to uh, – both of those things are good, but I think I'd rather see him create – more contact and get more uh more continue to get the free throw attempts he was getting earlier in the month uh rather than make the reads he's been making just because um when he's making those reads it's usually to to andre or to avery and so like andre those are easy shots but like avery you never quite know exactly what you're going to get when you pass him the ball in the corner and so i'd rather have him focus on the offense that he can provide um because i think that's uh, that ties back to the first thing we talked about. That'll lead to more consistent fourth quarter offense. You know, um, you look at guys like like James Harden, who's not playing right now, or or like a Giannis, and you know they create a lot of offense for themselves in the fourth quarter. But a ton of that comes from the free throw line, and those are basically free points. Tobias is a really good free throw shooter, and so uh, Jamie, which I, mean, I know, I know, I know what I rather have him focus on. Jamie, what do you, what would you rather have him focus on? Yeah, Who, Tobias? Um, I, 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 I agree with you. I'd, I'd rather him kind of focus on executing the offense um, and keeping the ball moving. Uh, the, the stat you pointed out about his assist kind of going up, I, I think, is, is excellent. Um, we need more of that. I think oftentimes he, like, the play will break down and he feels like he's got to make something out of nothing, and that's when he goes looking for contact. And... You know, he's. I think we've talked about this before on the pod. He's just never been one to get those kind of whistles um, for whatever reason. So I think he, he's to focus on that would just be kind of a loss. Um, I think he's just got to focus on keeping the ball moving, keeping guys running around, and and keeping the offense flowing. Ben, what do you think? Ben. Ben. Ben's. Ben's consulting Sorry. with the baby. The baby, I had the mic <laughs> muted. Um, so short term, I 100% agree. I think I don't think he should be tinkering too much with that part of his game in the middle of the season. But I think long term, this is a roster concern, and it's something individually Tobias can focus on. Tobias is a guy who, when you look at just his straight shooting percentages, you would think some of the, the all-in-one metrics that really focus on efficiency would like him a lot more than they do. And the reason they don't is because he doesn't get to the line. So I think if, if there's a next step to be taken for Tobias, and I think he's young enough where this is still a possibility, it has to be 
learning how to get contact when he gets to the basket. He, to me, I don't think this is something he's consciously doing, but to me, it looks like he's trying to avoid contact and avoid getting a shot block long-term over the course of the next off season, you know, like the, the CJ the next- McCollum effect. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like no, DJ literally has the same problem. Like he doesn't get yeah. to the line either. I think it, it, I'll say it more, more briefly. If there's a next step for Tobias, it's, it's going to have to come from him getting to the free throw line. Full stop. I agree. It's just not, it's just not the time. Like the middle of the season is the time to try to That's add fair. that to your game. I mean, if you would have asked me this last season, I would have said the three point shot is the next step for him. And he's added that this off season. So right. you know, maybe with yeah, another absolutely. off season to focus on drawing the creating contact, drawing fouls, we could see another, you know, step up from Tobias. And that would be. Well, and when you look at like the elite offenses and the elite of individual scorers, not just right now, but throughout history, the Jordans, the birds, the, and currently LeBron James, the Durants, the Hardens, like their shooting percentages aren't the things that make them so ridiculously efficient. It's them being very good free throw shooters and getting to the line very often. I mean, it just makes your efficiency numbers go off the charts and getting into the penalty early. Like when does that ever happen, right? Like when are the Pistons ever in the penalty eight minutes into a quarter? Like it just doesn't happen. It only happens, you know, they get the two fouls in the last two minutes of the quarter. Um, To me, that's the next step for Tobias. And I think, I think it would help with some of the consistency that our offense seems to not have because we're such a jump shooting oriented team. If Reggie could get to the line consistently and if Tobias could get to the line consistently, I think that would help the whole offense output quite a bit. I like how you talked about great guards and history and efficiency and purposely left Kobe's name off the list. That was, that was much appreciated. It, it wasn't even conscious. It was just it, it, your subconscious is just that evolved <laughs> that you know, I shouldn't say this guy's name. One guy that uh, has you know created a lot of contact and shot some of those free throws for the Pistons is Dwight Bikes, who uh, he got. I don't want to. I like initially wrote down like graduated, but that's like not right at all. But uh, he signed a standard NBA contract. Um, he's gonna be the he's gonna be on the Pistons roster full time. Yeah, he really has. He's balled uh, out. I didn't even know. I, I won't even lie. I didn't even know how to pronounce his last name when he joined the roster. Um, but he's just been such a great surprise the past couple of weeks. Um, really just picking up and filling in for that like that, that second unit point guard spot. Yeah, I mean, I expect his three-point shooting to go down probably pretty soon. But other than that, as a two, as the, like the – 2.5 point guard. Uh, sometimes he's the backup. Sometimes he's he's the third guard. Like I'm totally fine with him. Like moving forward. Like I don't I don't see a reason that we need to spend any like uh, trade assets or free agency money to pick up kind of another backup guard. Uh, do you guys? Well, we got K Felder now, so no um, need. I'm not a huge K Felder guy. What? Oh, you Grizzlies? I like Come tall on, point guards. Local guy. <laughs> Everyone loves everyone loves yeah, tall point guards. Kick is not tall. No, I'm, I'm not tall at all. No, I'm with you. I'm I'm very I'm so so on the Felder thing. Um, I don't think we need to spend the assets to go out and get another another point guard, uh, unless it's a name we will discuss no, later. Let's discuss that name right now. It's trade talk. Oh, <laughs> all right. Um, the only 
the only point guard I would be comfortable and ah oh, man, I'm even hesitant to say comfortable, but the only point guard I think you would want to get is Tyreek Evans right now. If I'm the Pistons. That's the only guy that I think would make sense and actually have a positive impact on the team and might be the most obtainable. Is Tyreek a point guard? I mean, he's playing point guard for Memphis. He's he's a tall-ass point I mean, guard. He's, he's playing like two guard, right? Like Dylan Brooks and um, they got like Mario Chalmers and everybody. Like those guys are their like nominal point guards, but like he's he's handling yeah. the offense, but like second He's guard. running point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's I've seen him run point though at, in, in some stretches for Memphis. I think, I don't know. I would... I would see if we were to go after him, I could see him kind of running running the offense for the Pistons. Is that Pistons. your like number one guy? Is that your dream guy, Jamie? Who's no. That? No. That's not I don't have a dream guy. I have I have a trade that I think makes the most sense for both parties. And that's that's my real most realistic scenario. All right, let's hear it. Uh, I think Miratic would be the most realistic win-win trade that the Pistons could make. The Bulls have a log jam at uh, the forward spot with Markinen kind of balling out. Um, Stanley Johnson is, you know, still very young, still super athletic. Uh, I think the Bulls could use some depth on the wing, especially in terms of athleticism. Uh, so I think... If we can get away with a Stanley Johnson and maybe a second rounder, I'd even be comfortable with our first rounder, as it was rumored on Twitter for Miratic. That I think, that I think is a win-win trade for both of us. Um, I think Miratic brings basically the promise of what we all thought Lure would do in terms of a stretch four playing alongside Drummond. Um, I think Miratic is kind of a closer realization of that. Um, He's a proven shooter. He's going to go through dry spells. But, I mean, outside of last year, I think his three-point percentage was like 34%. Before that, it was like damn near 40. Um, in his rookie year, it was like 38, something like that. So he's a proven shooter, and I think you get him in uh, SVG's system. He'll he'll fit in nicely. Ben, what do you think of Miritich? It depends on what we're trading for him. I mean, I would absolutely trade a first-round draft pick to get him because – Really? Oh, absolutely. No, I wouldn't even hesitate because look at what the look at what Van Bauer has done in terms of first round draft picks. I mean, outside of Kennard, right? Ellenson yeah. is buried on the bench, may or may not Good ever point. be an NBA player. Stanley Johnson is in clearly in the doghouse, clearly is in his own head and may never amount to anything as long as SVG is coaching him, right? Like that it, it may just not be the right fit. Right. It might just be that SVG and, and Stanley Johnson don't work together. So why would we do this again? I mean, if you can get a guy like Miritich who is just hitting his prime, clearly has flaws in his game, right? Like he's there are clear weaknesses to his game. But he would be better than any first round pick the Pistons have had over the the Esvin Bauer tenure. Kennard maybe could become better, but it's it's too soon to say. So I'd absolutely do it. And I would even absolutely trade Stan, uh, Stanley Johnson in a first for Miritich because if the Pistons are going to make the playoffs, I, I still don't think they have to do something. Like it's possible that they could make the playoffs without doing something. But adding Miritich, I think, would help with their offense. The other thing I like is um, 
there's the potential to slide Tobias to the three with a guy like Miritich because Miritich still gives you some space. Um, I, I think that that duo, that three, four duo would be really tough for defenses to deal with and, and would add a whole lot of versatility. So I would absolutely do that trade um, without hesitating for a second. So I texted, I texted my Bulls friend, um, shout out at T underscore Naz on Twitter, T Naz. He's like the mayor of Loyola Chicago basketball Twitter. Um, about the trade, he's a huge Bulls fan. And this, I'm just going to read some highlights he sent me. Uh, you guys are in win now mode, so you don't have patience for Stanley. Miritich is proven. Uh, our fr- <laughs> he still doesn't want to be here. With Markin and balling out, we have a front court log jam, and our wings are awful, and they're all small. Dunn, Levine, Stanley, Laurie, and Lopez is a super fun lineup, and I'd maybe even put Portis at the five to make it super athletic. So I think from the bull side of thing, it makes a ton of sense. Um, there, Miritich doesn't want to be there. We need that stretch four. It's, I, I think it's the deal that makes the most sense uh, right so, now. So there's a couple things. I'm not a huge Miritich uh, person. He's really hot this year, but um, I think he need, he needs to be – a huge part of your offense. He needs to really feel involved in your offense in order to be the shooter that um, I think he, uh, he is when you saw when he was playing with like Derek Rose and Jimmy Butler as like a standstill spot up guy, like that's when it was, he was at his uh, most ineffective. But when he, when he has the ball in his hands, when he, the ball is like whipping around, he gets to post guys up, his shot goes in. And so I think uh, having another guy who needs the ball in his hands but can't necessarily create his own shot is not necessarily the best fit for the Pistons. Uh, the second thing is that Miritich makes $12.5 million this year. He's got a team option for $12.5 million next year. Um, if the Bulls exercise that team option before he's traded, he no longer has like his no-trade uh, veto clause that he has in his contract currently because of his bird's rights. But all that is to say, like, you can't just trade Stanley Johnson in the first round pick for him because Stanley doesn't make enough money. You got to you got to attach some more money. So that's that's you got to send out Boban or that's you got to send out Galloway or that's you got to, um, you know, if you send Lure and the first round pick um, as like an apology for John Lure, then like that works. But like you can't just <laughs> trade Stanley Johnson for Miritich straight up. Uh, I had like I hear all I hear you guys, but like I just don't. I I really don't feel like I would enjoy cheering for Miritich, and like that sounds so subjective. Uh, no, I I I totally agree. And when I was like looking at like kind of our rundown of like the trade ideas in that sub in the Pistons subreddit, I really didn't want to like this trade. And then when I looked at the numbers that and and looked at some of the film on Miritich, I was like, damn it, I I kind of I can't fight this. Um, I do worry about him coming in if he were to come in like what that does to the locker room this feels like an already pretty fragile situation um and all the reports that came out around the whole like punch scenario it just sounds like he kind of Miritich has this like sense of entitlement he wasn't spending much time in the off season with the team he kind of which he had his reasons for being a restricted free agent and kind of holding out a little bit but Having said that, I, I I worry about how he would fit in and and what he would do to this already kind of delicate situation from a chemistry was, standpoint. Yeah. To me, it was really telling when like he got his face broken and like no one in the locker room was like really defending him. Like that's not a great sign, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Completely agree. Completely. My 
my defense of this trade or, or my, I guess, support or endorsement of this trade is purely from a basketball um, number standpoint, oddly enough, which is so not my role. Uh, from from the other side of things, this trade would make me super, super nervous. So that's I'll I'll just leave that out there. <laughs> Yeah, it all depends on what the price is. Like, there's a lot of trades for Miritich I absolutely would not do because I'm not, seriously, I'm not his biggest fan. But I think it, it, if it's a, a first round pick and a part that's underachieving or isn't being used, like, why not? I guess. Yeah, I see your point. So the Pistons were also rumored to have interest in Evan Fournier. Does that, does that name like uh, set off any alarms or do anything for you, Ben? It doesn't. I, I'm not huge. I mean, I'm just not a huge fan of his. I think just don't Google his name. Yeah, don't Google his last name. Oh, no. okay. I won't. Seriously, I won't, don't, I won't do don't, that. Don't do that. Um, I don't know. He scores. I mean, he scores a bunch of points on a bad team by taking a bunch of shots. Uh, meh. I just I don't feel crazy about him. I feel like what when I went and watched some of his film today, I I just don't. Would we is the potential that we would be trading Bradley for him? Because it, it, to me, looking at his game, it looks a lot like what Bradley's been doing this year. A lot of a lot of shot like jump shots. He does get to the rim quite a bit, which I which I did like to see. But um, I I just I can't see us getting Fournier and Bradley in the same backcourt. That just seems like it doesn't make sense in my head. Well, he makes seventeen million dollars a year. Like he's not cheap. So you have to send out quite a bit to get him. I'm not sure how long his contract is, but the Pistons have kind of a scary salary profile. It is as it is. And I'm not sure like $17 million for Evan Fournier is, is what you want to add to that salary profile. Like, does he move the needle enough at 17 million? For me, that's a no. Yeah. I think part of that, so that came out in the Woj report. And I think part of that was like, uh, the Pistons are still evaluating all their options with regards to Reggie Jackson. And so a Jackson for Fournier swap straight up would work financially. Um, and that that's one of the few pieces the Pistons could trade just like straight up for Fournier and have it work financially. And so I think that was a little bit of it. And there's always been uh, Stan's always been a willing trade partner with his former team, the Orlando magic and uh, the Orlando magic as well, I guess I guess the former organization, the organization before John Hammond, um, had always kind of had like a tertiary interest in Reggie Jackson, the point guard, back from his OKC days. But uh, so there's always been like Reggie to, to Orlando rumors. But yeah, I don't I don't know if I would do that either. I'm with I'm with Jamie. Evan Fournier doesn't really do much, especially not at seventeen million dollars. Yeah, well, look, I'm not the biggest Reggie Jackson fan right like but i wouldn't do that trade either like i i wouldn't i wouldn't i don't think i'd even consider it so hard pass hard pass so the trade assets the pistons do have is what their their first round pick this year uh langston galloway who is signed at a somewhat reasonable contract for a backup two guard uh for two more years after this one um, they've got Luke Kennard, who teams have expressed interest in, but have been roundly rebuffed. Thank you, Stan. Do not not interested yes, in trading Luke. God. He's way too good, way way too quickly. Yep. Um, the, so teams are still interested in Stanley Johnson, but so for me, I feel like it's Stanley and Bradley. Those are your two ba- like best trade chips. Yeah. 
Bradley is expiring, proven, like has the experience in the postseason. I I wouldn't be surprised if like someone try someone who like has a shot to make noise in the postseason comes calling for him. The thing that's tough about that, and I totally agree with you, he'd be like he'd be a fantastic addition to a lot of people's benches at like twenty four minutes a night, right? The yep. challenge is is that those teams might be willing to give you like a first two years down the road and then two contracts that are just contracts, right? Like they're not necessarily guys that are going to help the Pistons make a push for the playoffs. So, I mean, I agree. That's like a logical guy that the Pistons would want to move, but I just have a hard time figuring out like what's a realistic trade partner for him. And maybe you guys have dug into that more than I have, but I, I kind of struggle to figure that one so out. So the the one that like keeps bouncing around the DBB boards is Avery Bradley for Jordan Clarkson. Um, the Lakers are looking to yes. uh, get yes. space and Clarkson is, he makes like, I think 11 mil for the next three years. Um, he's a pretty good backup shooting guard, but like, that's what he is. Um, I don't really think of him as a defender, but like, I don't, I don't hate that trade, but I don't love it either. Um, and that would help out the Lakers because they're looking to clear out room to sign LeBron and Paul George because that's obviously what's going to happen. I I wouldn't be mad at Clarkson. I th- I mean I don't think he would love coming to Detroit. Um, seems like he's pretty into the LA scene, so to speak. But uh, um, I I think his game it would would fit nicely here. Um, I wouldn't be mad at that at all. I did have that crazy three way <laughs> trade with LA. Chicago and the Pistons, where Reggie somehow ended up in a Lakers uniform as like a uh, as a <laughs> as a uh, chip to kind of like entice Paul George to go there since they're best friends. But I think that there's zero chance of that That'd happening. Be funny, um, it would be pretty. I mean, la- people, some people on Lakers Twitter when I posted the the trade were like, "What the hell is wrong with you? You're crazy. Why would we want Reggie's contract?" But then I was like, "You look at what you guys paid Mozgov, and dang, I mean, is any contract really that crazy? Come on." Uh, but I, I'm going back to Clarkson. I, I I wouldn't be mad at that. I think that would be kind of a a, a solid move. That's fair. Uh, is he a starter though? Like, no. I mean, Laz, your opinion is he's not. I don't. I don't know if I have a a sense of that. No, not in this league. He's not good enough defensively. He's a he's like a Lou Williams yeah, type, where he's way better off the bench than he is as a starter. Poor man's Lou Williams. Not I don't even know if I can say that because like Lou is just balling out yeah. right now. Yeah, I was gonna say like he's he's yeah, had a like pretty good couple years. Williams, sorry Lou, that was insulting. Yeah. So all right, Ben, Jamie's dream acquisition is uh, Miritich. Who's not dream. Uh, that's not dream. dream. That's your dream. It's okay. You, no, you, no, it's not you my dream. his virtues quite, quite loudly. It's my, it's my, it's, it's, it's a realist dream. All right. I, it is, so, it's on the vision that, board. It's not a dream. It's a lucid dream. <laughs> there we go. All right, Ben, what's, what's your dream? Who's your dream acquisition? Uh, as long as we get rid of Boban, like I'm good at pretty much anything. <laughs> wow. What? <laughs> Ben's trolling. What? Yeah, that's I'm trolling. I don't I honestly don't have one. I think it's going to be tough and I'm going to I will say that I'm going to be pretty surprised if the Pistons make any sort of significant trade. I I just I don't think their assets are good enough right now. Uh, it's a very different situation than it was a year ago where I liked their assets. This year, uh 
I, I just don't have a really good feeling. And as a result, I just, I can't say that there's a trade that jumps out at me as, as a really good one. But what if like, I'm genuinely curious about this. Say we don't make a move. Doesn't like, what do we do in the off season? Doesn't that kind of put the gun to our head, so to speak? Like, I know that we're kind of in a precarious salary situation regardless, but I, I feel like we have to make a move to almost give ourselves a better idea of what to do this summer. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think the gun kind of is already at the head, I guess is what I would say. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's, I feel like the Pistons are kind of, kind of stuck. Um, I wouldn't call it the mediocrity treadmill because I think if they're healthy, they're better than mediocre, right? Like they're a 45-win roster. I just feel like they've kind of gotten themselves into this really awkward spot by – I mean, they, they hardly even have a – like the mid-level exception available to them if they're not careful because they're going to get themselves, you know, up up near the luxury tax. And yeah. so I just, yeah, I'm not, I'm really nervous about the long term. Honestly, my dream scenario, Laz, is we we start heading towards Tanksville now. No. I, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. I would much prefer we start blowing it up sooner rather than later because I, to be frank, I'm not sure. Are is anyone like really convinced that this is a team that's going to like make it to a finals in the next three years? No, but you can say that <laughs> of 26 other NBA teams, and so that's right. not a good reason. That's not a good enough reason in my mind to blow it up. So okay. here's 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 what here's going to be my, my counter mind, argument to you. In my mind, that's a good enough reason. <laughs> Yeah, I, okay. If you if you're an all or nothing type of fan, like if you if you want championship or bust, I can I can deal with that. But the thing I'll say is, I, I didn't think, even say championship. I said make it to an NBA finals. Finals or bust. I'm cool with that. I don't even think championships are way too premature. But even like even like an Eastern Conference Finals, I think to uh, they could maybe sneak one in there, barring some injury. Like no, they're not good enough. They still need yeah. one more. In peace. Yeah. And I don't and, know with the current contracts, like how that piece is even like, I, I can't even wrap my head around what that piece would be. So I think it could be, it could be Kennard. It could be Kennard. And the reason I'll say that is because of so Andre he, Drummond. Yeah. Wow. I'll say that because of Andre Drummond. The reason I'll say that is Andre Drummond is better this year than he's ever been. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. yeah I agree with that. Right. Like his free throws, he can, he can stay on the floor defensively. He's starting to get it. If he improves a little bit more every year until he's 28, like to me, that's your window. Like that's the year you need to be okay. aiming for. And that's still a few years away. So now can Vin Gundy wait it out that long? Does he have enough job security to get there? I don't know. No, no. Right? I, will like, say, I will say no flat out. Okay. That's, that's cool. But to me, like I, if blowing it up means getting rid of Andre Drummond, then no, I would keep, I would keep Tobias and I would keep Drummond and I would be looking at that, that 28, 29 years old mark for both of those guys as sort of the timeline you have to build around that. And those two guys with the right pieces in Kennard, like he's already above average NBA player, I think for a, a, above average backup shooting guard, let's say like, I think there's a ceiling there that's a little bit higher than we thought. So those could be three guys who maybe this, that's enough of a core to build around to get you to, a serious contender in the East. And it's just, it's just longer term. It's, it's still another three. That's, so that's what I would. I, 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 
that's super fair. I can kind of get behind that. The the thing that that gets me is that if your core is Tobias and Andre and Kennard and like a half decent point guard, like you're probably a good enough team to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference anyway. So like, why not? Why why tear it up? I guess. I guess my if, my if it's for the my draft thinking, picks. Like you can, there are right. other ways to acquire draft picks. There are other ways to acquire young guys. Like the entirety of the 2015 of the entirety of like Stanley Johnson's uh, draft class is like up for sale basically because they're all terrible, right? Like yeah. if you want to take a chance on some young guys, like you can try those guys. There there are guys like available on teams every year, and so I don't I don't really see a reason to to blow it up for draft position because you're going to be good no matter what you're going to be. If you don't give up Andre and Tobias, you're going to be a, a certain level of good no matter what. Well, and the, I, and the incentive to blow it up for draft draft position doesn't exist in the same way anymore. But I, I think my, my thinking and blowing it up is more of like, I think we need to, and maybe it's just me. Like I, I think this organization needs to get their head around, like I fixating on Drummond's window and then kind of, Moving on from Bradley, Reggie, even Tobias, I, I'm not, I'm not 100 percent on him being part of that core you build around yet. But like, I, I can kind of see Ben's point. Um, I just think like them sticking with the full cast of guys they have right now, it's just not, it, it doesn't make sense to me. So I think you got to pick one or two guys, Kennard being one of them, and then go from there. All right. So last last question on this topic. Uh, if you're looking to the future, if you're looking, you know, three, four years ahead and you want to keep Andre and Tobias together, does Stanley Johnson have a place on that team? No. So do you trade him now or do you trade him later? I think his value, I, I, I kind of said this in the rundown, I think his value is the highest, if not like the second rung highest it'll be right now just because of his age and because of the like, unknown potential um i can't i just haven't seen play that would warrant a huge jump in his trade value when he is healthy like i i don't see that coming from nowhere i think we kind of know what kind of player he is at this point even though he is super young and only 21 in this system with stan i just don't think his value is getting higher than it is right now that's fair and I, Laz, I don't know if this was you on Twitter or if it was you like last week on the pod or maybe it was someone else on Twitter, but someone pointed out like when Stanley was on the exercise bike and he had like just that terrible grim look on his face. Yeah. That was me. Yeah, yeah. Like SVGs burned him, man. I, yeah. I, that's, like, that's kind of why I started thinking about that over the week. And that's why I made my comment earlier. Like maybe this relationship has just run its course. Have you, know? you guys ever worked at a job where you just like that, that relationship between your boss has just deteriorated to the point where there's no going back. Like that's how I feel Stanley is right now. Like he's at that, he's working at like a daycare, or like blockbuster and he just hates his job. <laughs> and he's like, get me out of here. I don't care what it takes. Like that's, that's the look at that's the look I see in his eyes right now. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that was me on Twitter, and that was that was a hilarious photo of him on the uh, on the exercise bike during the New Orleans game. And then Stan made it worse. Stan made it worse because he after the game he was like, "I should have played Stanley." Yeah, like why why you put that in the media? And then why, held, why? But no, then they held him out of the Chicago game because his hip got tight again, right? Like I don't blame Stan, but like I totally see where you're coming from. Where this relationship might have just run its course. Which is unfortunate. 
It is. I, I think, especially going back to the, I mean, the Cavs playoff series two years ago, it was like the city kind of fell in love with Stanley Johnson. Um, we kind of were super excited about the potential, and now it's like, man, he's just, he's a shell. Like, I think he's just so angry with how his career has played out thus far in Detroit. Like, he needs that change of scenery. I just can't see him traded to Chicago because then he would torture us in the in the conference for like the next like eight years i don't i don't need that so he can't be part of the meritage package but uh yeah i see where you guys are coming from so uh wrap up the pistons played 12 of their next 15 games at home um they've played a lot better at home than on the road um if there ever was like a big time to make the next push uh, to kind of solidify their playoff position it's definitely like right now so uh, tomorrow, Monday, MLK Day, they play Charlotte. They play at Toronto, which is like their second to last away game of the month. Then it's home for Washington, home for Brooklyn, home for Utah, home for OKC. Um, that, that's a that's a pretty tough slate of opponents. Uh, the Donovan Mitchell uh, quote-unquote uh, revenge game, you should have drafted me game, will be interesting to watch, I think. Um but uh, out of out of those uh, six or so games, again, that's home for Charlotte at Toronto, uh, home for Washington, home for Brooklyn, home for Utah, and home for OKC. Uh, Jamie, how many of those should they win? I mean, this is a team that's better at home than they are on the road. Um, I, I think I think they split. I think it's three and three. Ben, you said looking at the next six, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was trying to do the math in my head too. I was like, yeah. did he say seven? <laughs> they, I won't say they need to win four because they're not quite there yet. They're still a few games above five hundred, but they really, they really need to win four. To, but it's going to be a tall order. They need to um, get to the All Star break and be five hundred. Yeah, if they can, like Toronto on the road, that's that's a tough one. OKC at home is a tough one. And then, like, you've got Charlotte, Brooklyn, and Utah. You've got to win those three. Like, you just have yeah. to. And then Washington, I mean, with without Reggie, I mean, John Wall might just have a field day, and that game could be over quickly. That's yeah, the coin that's to loss. Yeah, that's I, the I coin think Washington's going to be the tough, the tough one we don't expect to be tough. Yeah. <laughs> But if they do, like that's huge. But three and three is probably, unfortunately, what what what's realistic. So I think they have this weird tendency to play really well at home against upper tier Western Conference teams. So I yeah, think I true. think that okay that OKC game is looking at me like, hey, that's a game that they could they could steal. And, and that's a back to back, isn't it? Is it? Ooh, I don't know. I don't, no, I don't no, know. no, it's not. For it's Oklahoma, not. you mean? No, the, uh, they, they play at Cleveland and Cleveland in a back-to-back, like, right after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, which is, yeah. that's what I'm thinking about. That's that's hell. That's two losses. Why do we – that's, like, two years in a row we've done that, where we've done the, like, location – like, basically the Dan Gilbert series. Like, why do we – I I don't understand the scheduling behind that. Yeah, maybe Dan Gilbert's got way more pull than we thought because uh, that's really bad. I don't I hate that. Definitely does. Definitely does. So I think they have to win the Charlotte game. You can lose at Toronto. That's fine. Play competitive in Washington and lose, but you got to beat Brooklyn and you got to beat Utah, and then maybe you steal the OKC game. So, oh, my yep. God, that's, like, that's four. That's way too many. Yeah. No, I think they'll do it. Four wins. I think we'll lose to Utah. 
Donovan Mitchell has a has forty points and everybody's chanting his name and Luke Kennard just like cries at the end of the bench. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing this a little bit early. I really appreciate it. Hey. Do you guys want free money tomorrow, though? Oh, yeah. Let's, yeah, oh, yeah. let's get some picks. Should, let's get some picks, Jamie. You should, well, the, the Pistons are playing at noon 30, so you should take the Pistons minus three and a half. Love them coming off a tough loss. Um, outside of that, it's kind of up in the air. I like Sacramento plus 13 against Oklahoma City tomorrow night, and I also like Golden State minus four and a half in Cleveland. Everyone's going to be on Cleveland as the home dog, so we're going to go against the public. Take the Warriors minus four and a half. Those are your three picks. So yeah, I was about to say like Golden State's favored by four and a half at Cleveland. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. Cleveland's well, getting stuff, right? Or is he back? Uh, I'm not sure. Should say because he was game time the other day. I think. I think regardless of his playing status, Cleveland's defense as of late, I, I feel pretty comfortable with Golden State. That's fair. All right, Jamie, where can uh, where can people get more uh, more gambling tips from you? It's not they're not gambling tips; they're just suggestions. Where can where can, uh, where can people get friendly life advice? There we go uh, on Twitter at Jamie underscore Delancey. Uh, yes, financial advice about the NBA, Pistons rants, some music stuff here and there at Jamie underscore Delancey. And uh, Ben, where can the people? Uh, get more of you at br golker on twitter hit me up now public that now, was a big thing. yes now public again yes man i do i missed the whole press conference on that congrats <laughs> uh, you can find me at laz chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e um and, you know, you can comment on the post that'll be on Detroit Bad Boys. You can drop me a line on Twitter. You can send me a DM. Uh, I love to talk basketball, and I'll talk basketball with you. Uh, I need to get – Don't talk about Michigan State basketball, though. Yeah, you can, we can talk about some Michigan State basketball, but we've already, you know, been over an hour on this podcast, and I don't – Who? Wait, real quick. Who had the who had a worse week, Pistons or Michigan State basketball? Michigan State, 100%. 100%. Yeah, season's so much shorter. <laughs> I'm so mad that Miles Bridges like still can't take a DHO going right. Like, I don't. I don't know what's worse: watching Michigan State basketball lose, or just having to watch college basketball refs. Like it's it's kind of a lose lose situation. The, the answer is watching college basketball in general. The, yes, the thirty second shot clock is the worst. The thirty second shot worst. and the not in the short ass three point line is the worst. And the two halves. The Are two you guys halves? both too young to remember the forty five second shot clock? No. I, oh my god. I don't remember. That. I remember. Why, why would they ever do that? I remember the thirty five second that? shot clock. I remember 35. I don't remember 45. That's crazy. No, I think it was 35. I think my old man memory just failed me. Okay. I was going to say, 45 is wild. Yeah. The two halves The two halves drive me insane. In no other level of basketball do we play two halves of basketball. Like, two halves. That, it makes zero sense to me why we need to do that in college. All right. We have to, we'll have to do oh, a no. college basketball semi-pod in March in, or in, like, early, late February. Yeah, we'll do that. Where we can all rant about college basketball. Sorry, sorry. This is why you come to us for NBA, not college basketball. If you came to listen to us talk about college basketball, you are in the wrong place. Uh, and if you're still listening by now, you're you're definitely in the wrong <laughs> or in the right place. All right, thanks everybody, and uh, have a great uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day.